Right, so good evening everybody. It's been really an amazing day uh, and uh, yeah, you've got to suffer, suffer me now for a few minutes, so apologies. Uh, yeah, hopefully you all know now that uh, yeah, I'm a very gracious and so proud to be patron of this amazing charity. Uh, it's something that Nicola and I are very passionate about being involved with and through personal experience, which I'll get to shortly, you know, I've, I know how crucial and important the work that Men's Sheds do is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 52 years of age now, but with using that rejuvenating wash, the years, <laughs> the years will be getting knocked off me. So. Yeah, really, my, my journey will start in October 2008. And uh, I was a 38-year-old, soon to be 39, married man, working in the automotive industry, doing bodywork for BMW. A uh, eight-year-old son, Charlie. And just going about, you know, day-to-day -day life, you know, doing the nine-to-five, earning a decent money, uh, money, Loving motorcycles, I was a student pilot, studying towards my PPL, just loving life, you know, putting the hours in. And then woke up one Sunday morning, October 2008, uh, and I couldn't see, and it was like looking through really Vaseline smeared over my eyes. And even from that first morning, I would have been registered severely impaired severely visually impaired from that, that, that first day. But I didn't know what was going on and it's like, wow, you know, that might have been one glass of wine last night, too many, and you know, spent a couple of hours rubbing my eyes and no, no, it's not getting any better. So uh, I said to my wife at the time, I said, you know, what should we do? Should we go to the doctor or go to the optometrist? So we said, well, let's go to the optometrist. He's got all the kit, you know. Uh, so we got an emergency appointment to the optometrist and he said, oh, right, yeah, you can't see very well, okay. He said, well, you know, let's have a look. So he put some drops in my eyes and my eyes were non-responsive. The drops didn't make my eyes dilate. So he said, oh, that's strange. Uh, so he got his scope out and he was trying to have a look at my eyes and he said, oh, the pupils aren't contracting either. So he said, this really is strange. He said, I'm gonna do my best and have a look at the back of your eyes. So, in you come to my uh, my room, so I'm there. Uh, and he said, well, he said, what I can tell you is that the back of your eyes, both of your eyes is swollen around the retinas. So he says, you know, it's, it's, it's not great that, you know, tied in with the fact that your vision is very, very poor. You need to go to the eye hospital. So uh, our local eye, eye hospital was Manchester Eye Hospital. Uh, and from day one, they thought it could have been uh, early onset of macular degeneration, thought it could have been an arthritic form of blindness called uvitis. Uh, and again, they went, go home, here's some drops and some cream, come back tomorrow. Went back, no improvement. And then in that first week of attending the eye hospital, the blurriness started becoming blindness. Cut a long story short, four weeks later, I had no vision at all. And when they did the angiogram, uh, it showed that both my retinas had been completely and irreversibly eaten away by toxoplasmosis. 
which is what you find in animal feces. So uh, they think I could have picked it up on the park as a child and it had laid dormant, something had triggered it off. So it rendered me totally and irreversibly blind within four weeks. So straight away, you lose everything. And all disabilities, of course, are life-changing, traumatic and difficult to deal with. But uh, your eyes play such an important part in absolutely everything we do. It's, it's a game changer. You are massively screwed. So, you know, if, if I'd have lost a limb or I was a spinal injury, you know, I could possibly have an adapted car or a prosthetic. You know, I could still have seen my son, enjoyed the beauty of the environment and the world around me. The stuff you take for granted, just picking up a book, you know, seeing people and, you know, all that was gone. So the consultant said, there's nothing we can do. We'll let the machinery take over. So in come the social workers and the sensory teams. And I had about six months of rehab, learning how to make a sandwich, make a cup of tea without burning the house down, all that sort of stuff. And then that first year, I was so preoccupied and busy with the machinery and the infrastructure, my mind hadn't caught up with the huge trauma that had taken place. So it was a year after going blind, I'm doing a cookery course at Bolton College, a cookery course for the blind. And then it was like someone flicked a switch. I was in the classroom one afternoon, we were doing some theory uh, and the lecturer Tracy she said Chris you're quiet and that's not like you are you all right I said I feel really unwell she took me to the bathroom I was uh, sick I vomited hot flushes big panic attack and that was the start of what was going to be four nearly five years of debilitating mental illness and it manifested in some uh, one interesting side effect which was hallucinations which I must admit I enjoyed and you know I'd be in the kitchen and then the the kitchen tap would miraculously be on and I'd go wow that's amazing and I'd got to turn the tap off and it wasn't on and then snap back into blackness you know or I'd be sat on the patio having a cup of tea and I'd see a bird fly at my head and I'd duck and wow that was that was really weird and but again bang back into blackness so that was sort of like the only interesting side effects. The others were uh, palpitations, panic attacks, vomiting, insomnia, uh, muscle spasms, scared of going out. I had a support worker by that time. He'd come to take me out uh, to the shop or the bank and I'd feel that unwell. I'd say, I can't go out. Or we'd go out somewhere and then I think, what if I can't find the toilet in time? because I've got IBS as well, you know, what if I need the toilet and I can't? And, you know, what if I, I trip or fall? And it was just going round and round and round. And then I started feeling that unwell, that was thinking about ending my own life. Uh, and I was even contemplating ways of doing it and really seriously beginning to think of how I could check out and not be feeling the way that I felt and being a burden to my family anymore. And the one thing that kept me around was my amazing son, who was nearly nine at the time, Charlie, and my family and friends around me. If I was a bachelor living on my own, I am 100% certain I'd have gone. No two ways about it. And uh, I stuck with it. And 
Uh, I did the bereavement counselling with the RNIB. I had 12 sessions with a guy called Marius and that really started to get me talking about why I felt the way that I was feeling, what could be causing it, what could be triggering it. And I also got put on some anti-anxiety medication by my GP. Tablets aren't for everybody, I know that, but they worked for me and I still take them. I still suffer with anxiety and mental health problems, but I can manage them now and I've got that many coping mechanisms that really all I get is a bit of a lump in my throat. Not now doing public speaking like this, I love this. But you know, going to a place where it's uh, an unfamiliar environment or a new scenario. Uh, Nicola, you know, don't you? Yeah. When I'm having an attack, because Nicola say, you all right? I go very withdrawn and quiet and I start evaluating, over-evaluating things. Uh, but again, I can deal with that and it's just a process. And I give myself a mental slap around the face. Come on, Chris, you've got this. It's just another demo. It's just a different place you've not been to before. You've got your amazing wife, you've got Bamber and, you know, lots and lots of amazing people around you like you guys. You know, what more could you ask for? So get on with it. So that's a coping mechanism, a, a mental slap to myself. So uh, I started after the counselling and the meds, having some good days. And I thought, well, this is, yeah, I'm feeling a bit of the old Christie's coming back. You know, this cheeky lad from Salford, don't judge me. You know, so, uh, you know, some of the old Christmas coming back. Obviously, you know, I still couldn't see anything and I'd never fly or ride a motorcycle again or drive a car, but I was getting this zest for life and I started having more good days and bad days. And then I loved Halloween and putting on a great show for the kids. And I thought, yeah, oh, I want a vampire steak and I didn't just want to get a piece of wood and whittle it. So I thought, hmm, wood turning. So I, my background is in engineering, but I'd never done wood turning, just general DIY. Wood turning had been phased out of school years before I attended high school in the 80s. So I listened to YouTube for 600 hours and assimilated all this information. And with having a memory map, I could make all this mental imagery of roughly what they were doing and what they were talking about. So tools, equipment, machinery, PPE, sanding, finishing, 600 hours, so it's about five or six uh, hours a day. I treated it very seriously, like going to school, laptop, and my laptop was talking to me, so I could navigate around YouTube. Bought a lathe and taught myself just by touch, and I ended up with my vampire steak. Yeah, so kids were coming to the door, get out, go on. It's like, yeah, so it's like, yeah, I'm loving this. So, and from that vampire steak, which I've still got, and that's in the workshop, that's Genesis. And from there, I started doing the bowls and the goblets and the platters and the candlesticks and the pens that, you know, a lot of wood turners, you know, love doing in those early honing your craft and skill days. And, you know, uh, I was visiting Axminster Tools in Warrington, which was our nearest store at the time, and uh, getting to know the, the staff and the manager there, Phil Lewis. And it was Phil that said, uh, Chris, uh, I've been watching your YouTube channel because I was doing YouTube videos as well to chart my journey and inspire and motivate people. He's a bit of the Dell boy of Axminster and he said, uh, you don't want to do a demo for us, chief, do you? So I said, y y you know that I'm blind, don't you, Phil? He said, uh, don't worry, you're better than half the monkeys we get in here demonstrating anyway. <laughs> so I said, yeah, all right, I've got to put my money where my mouth is. I keep telling people that even though I'm blind, I'm sure I can do anything and be anything and achieve still achieve my hopes and dreams. So 
that morning going into the demonstration at Axminster, I was so ill again. We had to stop at McDonald's on the way so I could use the facilities. Got there, was setting up, had half a gallon of tea. And then when I made that first cut in front of this huge audience, because they were all going, Blind Woodson, I've got to come and see this. That's going to be, that's got to be carnage, that, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, so anyway, the demo went great. There was no catches, nothing flew off the lathe. People in the audience were going, that's amazing. We've got this wood turning club up here and can we take your details? So we started getting booked for club demos. And, uh, and, and I've said to many people today, for every hour that I work, Nicola does six hours in the background. She's a business advisor and a business consultant. That's a day job. She's forgotten more than I know. And she do, she's my brand manager my bank manager, my chauffeur, my taxi. She's my mentor, she's my strength. And uh, before I continue, can you please give Nicola a huge round of applause, please? Because I really, I really couldn't be who I am without Nicola. And it's, it's only fair to give Nicola, you know, the accolade she saw right that she puts up with a hell of a lot. And, you know, she just said, someone's commissioned this 12 inch Bowl. Can you do that? Yeah, cheers, love. And I'm like that. Got a load of Metallica on in the workshop and incense and a cup of tea. And she's there going, well, email's coming out the wazoo. And it's like, so yeah, without Nicola. And it's like that for many people with disabilities, you know, with all the support we have and, you know, someone in our back, you know, shoving us along and giving us, you know, the support and the encouragement we need. It really cannot be understated. You know, the, the work with uh, UK men's sheds and what you all do again it's amazing and the, the mental health problem I thought you know would subsided but then when we moved home from uh, the northwest Manchester and Lancashire to the Derbyshire Dales I was having this resurgence during lockdown so we were renting holiday properties until our new home was finished and uh, I was again having some withdrawn moments, new in, new scenarios, new environments. I fell down the, st the stairs at one property, cracked a couple of ribs, smashed my elbow in. How I didn't uh, have a severe head injury, I don't know, because it was a metal staircase on the outside. You know, so again, I was having periods of anxiety and wasn't feeling too great again. But again, come on, dig deep, Chris, you've got this. The great thing about men's sheds is uh, and again, this is so relatable for me, is everybody can be going through tough times in the life. You know, it, you don't, it's not all about disability. It can be about bereavement, loneliness, depression, anxiety. A whole raft of things can be making us feel mentally unwell and not at our best. And what men's sheds do is give people a place where they can go and make new friendships. They can uh, obviously be creative, which is great therapy. It's a great coping mechanism. I am such a great advertisement for that, you know, and hopefully, you know, as, as you become assimilated into your shed and you become more comfortable with the group of friends that you've got, you know, you've got people that have got your back and you can see someone that, mm, Bob, Bob's, Bob's a bit quiet, you know, like my electric. Bob, you are right. And what we need is for Bob to say, well, actually, I'm not feeling too great today. You know that, 
you know, my wife passed three weeks ago, or you know that I've been suffering with depression. And you go, right, right, Bob, well, you know that I'm here, you know, why don't we have a sit down and a chat and a cup of tea? Leave that piece of bloody steel alone and come on, let's have a cup of tea. And that's all it needs for someone that you can feel relaxed with talking. We're not clinical professionals, we're not psychiatrists, we're not psychologists, but it's just having that friendly face, or in my case, that friendly voice that you can say, no, I'm not doing too great. And that's the start of the process. You started to offload. Men are too macho to be macho. And it takes a, a man of real strength and courage to say, I'm struggling. That takes a real man. And what Men's Shed's doing is taking that, you know, to the front line, offering help, you know, making things is great, you know, whether it's metalwork, woodwork, you know, carving, this, that, and the other. That's great. But the benefits from that can be so far reaching. Uh, it's it, ca it cannot be understated. The great work that you are all doing, you are not just changing lives, you could be saving lives. Severe mental illness can be a silent killer, and for some people it can be a terminal condition. So nipping it in the bud is crucial. Being aware and cognizant of the signs can be a life-changing moment. And I personally, as patron, on behalf of the charity, thank you all for the hard work you do, for being vigilant and being a shoulder, not to cry on, but to lean on and to be there to listen. Sometimes that's all people need and then they're on the road to recovery. You know, like I say, we're not clinical professionals, so, you know, I wouldn't recommend, oh, take this and take that and do that, you know. But being a friend to confide in can mean the difference in some cases between life and death. So thank you so very much. Uh, I love you all very dearly. Thanks for being so nice to myself, Nicola and Bamba today. And thanks for being so supportive and enjoying my demonstration. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, Charlie, for being such an amazing friend. Uh, and uh, thank you to Sir, Sir David as well for taking part and being keynote speaker. Uh, and. I hope you've all enjoyed your day and your evening and here's to like you all to raise your glass please whether or not it's tea coffee beer coke whatever and everyone say men's sheds men's sheds thanks everyone all right yeah. used to working with people in wheelchairs, all right? So, um, so um, we've got a couple of minutes if people have any questions for Chris. Any, anything at all? It's okay if you don't. You'll just be offended. Yep, sorry, Sam. Was there a particular moment that triggered your interest in turning, wood turning? Yeah, Halloween. <laughs> so, yeah, it's as simple as that. And I know it's weird, but you've got to start somewhere. And it was just that I wanted a vampire steak. And yeah, I wanted something a bit a bit more stylized, a bit more Hollywood than just a stick. And yeah, I just, I thought, yeah, whittling a stick would be great. And it would probably do Peter Cushing proud. But I thought I can do. And again, I was already thinking, come on, push yourself. You know, you've been unwell for... <laughs> quite a few years now so let's push yourself so it really was Halloween for that only reason but 
you know, Nicola and I have said, if I hadn't have gone blind, I wouldn't be a wood turner. If I hadn't gone blind, I wouldn't have met Nicola. And if I hadn't gone blind, I wouldn't be here in front of you all today. And I don't want my eyesight back. And now a lot of you people might say, you're crazy. But believe you me, it's who I am now. I've come through hell to get to where I am. And it's shaped who I am and where I'm going. And I'm very comfortable with who I am. So, you know, I don't want my eyesight back. I, I'm, you know, happy to be who I am now. So, another question from Church Crookham. So, um, fleet. First of all, the top of your mind, <coughs> you're standing up there, you open your eye out. So, please, absolutely fantastic. Can't hear you that well. He admires you very much. All right, cheers, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would like to know is, how on earth did you start wood turning? You've got a sharp tool in your hand. Yeah, yeah. You've got a machine with a lump of wood on it. Yeah, yeah. Which both potentially can cause you a serious injury. Yeah, yeah. How did you manage to do that but keep the, the machine running as it should be? It, check, quick, you're catching your fingers in it. Can you hold your fingers up so we can see you? <laughs> <laughs> so, right, pal. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was unbelievably scary uh, as you'd expect and before I go into the workshop even to this day before I go into the workshop I need to go to the toilet I'll be honest with you it is a monumental thing that I'm doing and you know very high powered machinery super sharp tools you know even sighted wood turners can get into either people have been killed wood turning you know with severe head injuries you know, I think, what were they turning? But anyway, you know, uh, it has happened. So I'm cognizant of that fact. As soon as I have made that very first cut, it's like, oh, I'm with an old friend again. And everything just dissipates. And I've, like I say, I've got the radio on, I've got some incense on, I've got a cup of tea. And it's like, yeah, it's my raisin d'etre. It's, it's euphoric. I do feel euphoric. And you know the adrenaline and the endorphins are released and you know when i'm carving and texturing and coloring my mind is firing with all these mental images and i'm stopping and feeling and if i'm turning a medieval or a viking piece i'll have some driving anthemic scandinavian folk music on if i'm doing uh, a tea ceremony bowl a chow and a japanese tea ceremony bowl i've got traditional japanese music on you know and if i'm doing a funky piece i might have some 80s music on you know it's like it's just this amazing world that I'm absorbed in. But yeah, it's very scary, but it's that never give up attitude that, you know, everybody's got, you know, inbuilt to them. You just have to dig deep sometimes, but we're all absolutely amazing. Each and every one of you in here, please remember you're amazing. We're all amazing. We can do amazing things. Just takes passion, tenacity, confidence, support, and really the sky is the limit. Thank you.